In Jeremiah 12:5, God challenges Jeremiah, If you have run with men and they have tired you out, how will you compete with horses? God offers you a similar challenge to live a life of biblical discipleship and to build a healthy marriage and a godly family. He never promises it will be easy, but it will always be worth it. Are you ready to run with horses? Hello, this is Norman, and welcome to Run With Horses. Hope you're having a great day. I am a little bit slow today, so my, I don't know, the whole day might be a little bit of a struggle. We just returned from Japan, so I have jet lag and brain sludge and all those things that go along with international travel and cross time zones and all of that. So hopefully today we'll still be coherent and helpful, encouraging to you. So what I want to talk about today really is answering the question, what do you do when you see God? You know, I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people will say, you know, they really would like to know God better. They would like to see God. And they have this desire to have a vision of God. But then I, I think we often think of the, maybe the the service we have at church where we're singing and we're praising God and we're, we're giving thanks. And we, we think if they were actually in God's presence that this is uh, exactly how we would respond to God. I'm not sure why we think that. That's certainly not the way that people throughout the Bible responded when they saw God. So I want to think a little bit about that today. What does it look like if you actually get a vision of God? So, a lot of people will say, you know, I really would like to know God more, to see Him clearly. But let's look at a few of the people in the Bible and see how they responded when they came in contact, came face to face with God. And I, I think a good place I'd like to start is think of Job, because there are a couple of reasons why I think Job's a good one to start with, because we have Job's view of himself and God's view of Job at the beginning. In the beginning, Job really said very clearly that he was innocent. There's no uh, sin in him. He was uh, right before God, that everything that had happened to him was unjust. So Job's view of himself is that he is innocent and he is right before God. And it's not just Job's view of himself. If you look at Job 1.8 and you see that God actually talks to Satan and he says, hey, have you considered Job? There is nobody like him on the earth. He is, what? Blameless and upright. He fears God and shuns evil. So God's declaration of Job is that, hey, he seems pretty innocent and sin-free, kind of like Job's view of himself. He didn't know of any sin in his life, and God says that, man, he is, he is upright. So of all the people in the Bible we look at, I'm not sure that we have too many people like this where we have God's view of them and their view of themselves that kind of line up, and we see that this was a certainly a, a good person before God. He trusted God. He followed God. He respected God. He avoided sin. So how did he respond? How did he act when he came face to face with God? And you can go down to the end of Job and look at verse uh, chapter 42, verses 5 and 6, and he says, you know, I've, 
I've heard about you before, but now I see you. Therefore, he says, I abhor myself and repent in sackcloth and ashes or dust and ashes. So when he's confronted with God, his view of himself is, wow, I am just a terrible, miserable person in light of God and who he is. So even though God would say Job was right before God, he was going in the right direction, and Job would say he was right before God, when he actually came face to face with God, his view of himself was a little more accurate. Instead of justifying himself, he recognized how insignificant he was in the face of Almighty God. And you go through the, throughout the Bible, I think this is the theme of men when they came face to face with God. Think about Moses. And Moses had all of the training of Pharaoh's court. I mean, he was raised as a child of Pharaoh. So, in his upbringing, he was uh, well-educated. Uh, he was, I would assume, very respected in Pharaoh's court. Then he comes face to face with God in Exodus chapter 3, in verses 2 to 6. You have the story there of the burning bush. And God says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what does Moses do? It says, he hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So again, you have uh, Moses, and his response to God is not to run to him and lift up his arms and say, oh, great God. His, his response was to hide his face and turn away. He was afraid of God. Think then about uh, a prophet like Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 to 5. Isaiah saw God, and then what was his response? Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he recognized that why, and he goes on and says, because I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah recognized his sin more deeply when he came face to face with God. And I think that's the true for every person throughout, uh, throughout history, whether it's somebody in Scripture or somebody... Uh, in any part of life, if you come face to face and really see God as He is, I think you see yourself as you are. So Job had a correct uh, view of himself once he saw God. Uh, Moses saw God and was afraid. Here Isaiah is like, man, I am, I'm filthy in front of God and who He is. Think about uh, Ezekiel and Ezekiel one one. He saw this vision of God, and then at the end of chapter one, he saw this likeness of the glory of God, it says. And so then what did he do? He says he fell on his face. Uh, he was prostrate before God. And this is a common theme. Again, he's hiding the face, following the face, uh, turning away. Go back uh, to the New Testament and think about someone like Peter who saw God in the presence of Jesus, but Okay, all these people in the New Testament saw Jesus, but they didn't really understand and see him as God. So, Peter, you can look at Luke chapter 5. Um, Jesus there tells Peter, you know, put your nets down on the other side of the boat. He said, okay, we haven't caught anything all night, but we're going to do it. So then in verse 6, he said, they caught this great number of fish, so many that their net was, was breaking. And 
uh, signal these other boats, and they come and help them, and they fill both the boats and begin to sink. And when, when Peter sees this, what does he do? It says he fell down at Jesus' knees, at his feet, and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So he, he saw Jesus in a different way in that context. He saw the power and the authority of Jesus. He saw him in a different light. And when he saw Jesus in a proper light, he saw himself in the correct light as well. He saw that he was sinful. He saw that he, he didn't deserve to be near God. And I think that is, again, what did he do? He fell down at the feet of Jesus. This is uh, very similar to Paul. We go to Acts chapter 9 and you see Paul's conversion as he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and this light shines down. And what does he do? He fell to the ground. And when he, he asks, who are you, Lord? And he understands who this is. This is God. He says, I'm Jesus, who you've been persecuting. So how does he respond? In verse 6, he says, he's, he's trembling. He's afraid. He's astonished. What, what do you want me to do? When he is confronted with Jesus as God, he responds in a very different way. So throughout the Bible, you have this common pattern, this common way that people responded when they were confronted with God, when they were uh, recognized God in front of them. the, the common themes are, are self-abhorrence. They recognize, I, I'm, I'm terrible, I'm sinner, self-abasement. They lowered themselves. You see this physically by averting their face or prostrating themselves on the ground. They had a strong sense of their own uncleanness. I think they felt their sin more deeply. Uh, sometimes you'd see them just falling as dead before God. So the question to ask yourself when you look at these, say, do you still want to see God? And I think the answer, obviously, we should say yes, because that's not the end of the story. Yes, when these men came before God, they were aware of their own sinfulness. They're aware of the glory of God, the righteousness, the holiness of God. Um, They understand that they're nothing in front of him. But God doesn't intend just to humiliate these men. That's not the point of what goes on in this story. That's not the end of these men's story. What God wants is for every one of us to see ourselves as we really are. And we can only do that if we see Him as He really is. Because sin really only has its fullest meaning in light of who God is. Uh, often in the world today, I think we try to make light of sin and kind of view sin as a a human construct or something that only matters in society. You know, sin, uh, bad sin is only the things that keep us apart or, or tear up our relationships and those, all these negatives in the world today that we want to say, well, it's a human issue among humans. But realistically, sin has its deepest meaning, its fullest meaning, only in relation to God. God is pure. God is holy. If we see Him in His purity, in His holiness, and are confronted with our sin, and we will be if we are confronted with God in His holiness, then we see what sin really is. It's not just a barrier between me and 
my fellow man. It's not just something that I do that hurts other people or um, is a negative in society. Sin is an affront to a holy God. And I see myself as I really am. I, I see my sin as it really is when I see God as He really is. And the problem is we have this image of God in our mind. And I think when we, when we gather as the church family and we have what we call a worship service, we praise God, we thank God, but we're actually worshiping, serving, praising an image that we've created in our minds. And one of the things that it really doesn't fully, that image that we have doesn't fully um, encompass is His holiness, His purity. If we really understood that, I, I think our our time when we come before them and point our hearts to Him would be different. I think we would reflect some of this humility. I think that's the big word that I would say is a common theme in all of these men. When they come before God, when somebody is confronted with God, they are uh, just forced into this position of abject humility. They they force themselves into that. They humble themselves before God. And I, throughout the Bible, when you see worship, you see this humility. When you see worship, you often see in the Old Testament, you'll see people prostrate themselves on the ground, literally lay down before God on the ground. And I think that's a part of of worship that we miss. What we do is praise. You know, most of our our songs that we sing on Sunday are really praise songs. They're not worship songs. They're praise. We're giving thanks to God. But what we're lacking is this view of God's holiness and righteousness and this humility before God. And without that, I, I think we we're not able really to see ourselves as we, we really are. And without that, Eh, that we can fool ourselves and say, well, I'm not that bad. But when we see Him as He is, we see ourselves as we are, then we're freed from thinking that we can stand on our own. That's why all these men, I think, were uh, prostrating themselves, turning away from God. They recognize, man, I am nothing in light of God. Our pride is absolutely gone, has no place when we really see God. Abject humility takes the place of pride. So, with that understanding of our sin, we really can embrace our need for forgiveness. And then what God does as we enter that place of humility and uh, really turn our hearts to Him, with that forgiveness and the love of God comes this commission from God then to serve Him because He uses these vessels who are rightly related to Him, who come before Him Humbly, So God's aim is not to humiliate us, but to change us. And you see in these men, uh, Job started and he was good before God. He was rightly oriented. He was offering sacrifices for his children. Uh, he trusted God. But at the end of Job, he has a, a clearer view of who God really is. And Moses, he desired to be one with the children of Israel, and he he knew who God was. But after walking with God and seeing as he is, he was a different person. He was now prepared to be a servant of God. And I think everyone that you see, 
Peter and Paul in the New Testament, the same thing when they come in light of Jesus as God and they see themselves as they are. They're in a position to really to serve. <laughs> I think without that, if we think we have something to offer, then our service is, is going to be less than it really could be and should be. It's interesting. You know, I've been working on memorizing some different verses of Scripture. And one of the verses I've been meditating on a lot this last couple of weeks is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And in there it talks about, you know, God who sh- said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to reveal, and I like the way it puts this, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that's very uh, it's just a neat verse, right? So, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So, to know the glory of God is light. It sheds light on our lives. It sheds light on our sin. It sheds light on our future, on our past, on our present, on all our relationships. The, the knowledge of the glory of God is light to us. And where do we see that most clearly? I think it's awesome. It's in the face of Jesus. As we look at at Jesus and who he is, the fact that he came and he came to reveal in bodily form the love of God. So because we know Jesus, we see him as he is, then we have this greater understanding of the glory of God. And that sheds light on our life. So we are able to really come to know God the Father because of God the Son. We place faith faith in Christ, and we are freed from thinking that we have something to offer God. You know, in that that larger passage, well, and actually, Second uh, Corinthians three uh, four to six, I think, is uh, kind of jumps back a little before that verse and, and sets it up. It says, we have this trust through Christ. I think that's important. We have trust through Christ toward God. And we're not sufficient ourselves to think that we have anything to offer. But it's in verse 5, it says, our sufficiency is from God. And verse 6 is important because it says, He, he made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. So he made us sufficient and gave us a ministry. And this is what we're talking about before. When these men saw themselves as they really were and were humbly coming before God, God gave them forgiveness, lifted them up, and gave them this commission to serve. I think that's the way everyone is when you genuinely come to God. When you genuinely see yourself as you are and you see Him as He is, you recognize you're not sufficient in and of yourself. God makes you capable. God makes you able to serve. And He gives you the service. He gives you this ministry. And then you, you move on in Second Corinthians 2, chapter 4, and it starts with, therefore, all the content of chapter 3 and earlier, since we have this ministry... As we have received mercy, don't lose heart. And then we get down uh, very quickly to verses 5 and 6. And what does it say? It says, For we do not preach ourselves. So our sufficiency is from God. He's given us this ministry of this new covenant. 
And since we have this ministry, verse four, verse uh, chapter four, verse five, we don't preach ourselves, but Christ, and we are bond servants for His sake. So again, you have this idea of humility, and our service is based on Him and who He is. And then you have this whole line of thought that God is the one who, uh, through faith in Christ, He makes us sufficient. He gives us this ministry. Because we have the ministry, we don't preach ourselves. We're humble enough to recognize that we have nothing to offer. So we come to God not preaching ourselves, but preaching Christ. And why do we do that? Then we get to verse 6. For it is God who... Said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is God who has done this work. It is God who shines this light. It is God who changes us. And when we recognize that, then our lives um, and our view of our lives, so it's, it, it really goes back to uh, our changes, I would say, our identity, our understanding of our identity. Because a lot of people... I'd say all of us, we come to God in the beginning with a, a false view of who we are. And I started with Job, and let's go back to Job. So Job came before God, and he had, he had some understanding, because what he said about himself and what God said about him were fairly close. You know, he, he understood that he uh, was pursuing this righteousness before God. He was doing the sacrifices. He was pursuing this right relationship with God. And he felt that that made him good because he didn't have any known sin because he was doing the right things, that he was okay before God, that that was enough, that was sufficient. So he had this view of himself that was accurate but insufficient. And I think a lot of us, I mean, Honestly, a lot of us have a view of ourselves that's not accurate. We don't see ourselves as we are in any way. But sometimes we do. We understand that, you know, I'm not perfect. And we would view it like that. We would say it like that. Well, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not as bad as I could be. And we kind of, along with recognizing our weakness, we rec- we try to give excuses. <laughs> and that's really not helpful. We want to recognize who we really are before God. And when Job really came face to face with God before, he served, he served God. He knew a lot about God. He certainly knew enough to uh, submit to God's work in his life and, and not to sin when he was put in difficult situations, when he faced these trials. He knew that much. He honored God that much, trusted God that much. But he still felt that he was it was unworthy of him. He he didn't deserve this. He saw himself as having some kind of worth outside of God. Therefore this was not justified. But when he came face to face with God, he absolutely changed his tune. He absolutely changed his understanding of himself. And I think because he under, he changed his understanding of God. He saw God much more clearly. You know, we, in theory, we know the power of God. But as Job talked with God, it became much more than a theory. He really began to see God as He is. The, the power of God, the awesomeness of God, the might of God, the eternal plan of God, 
of the holiness of God. When we understand those things, then our life is placed in the context of all of eternity and God. And that's really the place we need to see ourselves. We want to see ourselves in the context of our immediate surroundings and the people that we know. And you know what? If you, depending where you live and who you're around, you may look at people around you and say, well, I'm not that bad. And that's true for a lot of people. You may be the best person in your local context. But you know, if you're the best person in a, a pit of evil, that's still evil. If you're the uh, the best person, but you're in a, a pit of sinners, you're still a sinner. So we, we don't really want to acknowledge that our context is not just those people that we're right around, but in light of God and who He is, now who I am I? <laughs> and I have a better understanding of what my sin really means when I see who God really is. Job changed throughout this conversation with God. He saw his life differently. Um, I think that's God's purpose for us. He wants each one of us to see our lives differently to see it accurately. And then we're in this position, and think about Job. At the end of his life, he was in the position to to pray for his friends, to be an intercessor for his friends, because they also did not see God accurately, and they saw God better at the end. So Job was in a position to be an intercessor. He had greater ministry at the end of the book of Job than he did at the beginning, because he saw God clearly. So that's what God is trying to do for each one of us. I think we should want to see God. You should desire to see him as he really is. And I think when you really see uh, the face of Jesus, when you really see him for who he is, uh, that takes away our petty desires to succeed in this life. You recognize There's not that much this world has to offer. Success in this life is still abject failure in uh, in light of eternity and God. You can be a millionaire. You can be powerful. You can have authority. You can have the greatest wealth the world offers. But without an accurate view of yourself and the forgiveness of God, you have nothing. We lose our fear of death because we see life in His face. And, you know, with this proper view of God and ourself, we are in the best place to be His messengers to the world. Your life is different. You understand meaning that only He can give. You know, Job was given this ministry to his friends directly from God. You were given your ministry to be a disciple maker directly from Jesus through the ministry of his disciples throughout the last 2,000 years. So keep pursuing him with all you have, with all you are, and keep running. Thanks for joining us today. If you have a question we can address on the show or just want to send us a word of encouragement, send an email to talk at runwithhorses.net. That's T-A-L-K at runwithhorses.net. We look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, keep running.